Today's um, Bible passage is from Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 4. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Amen. Of course, um... The rest of the passage there in Isaiah 53, uh, at least five through nine is covered. So that's also part of what I'd like to share uh, from today. If you've been following along in the current Sunday uh, sermon series on the servant songs in um, Isaiah, you know that we are now on the fourth song. Um, chapter 42 was about the servant's ministry of justice accomplished with meekness. Chapter 49 was about the servant's mission, not just to Israel, but for the whole world. Chapter 50 accentuated the servant's determination. Despite severe opposition, he was certain to face. Uh, studying the song in chapters 52, 53 today, uh, we can see similarities hinted at uh, in the previous three songs, uh, themes like apparent failure, lack of understanding, willingness to undergo undeserved suffering, um, the certain success of a worldwide scope. These are all present um, in the prior descriptions as well, but they kind of come to a culmination in today's text. So the structure of this uh, fourth song, um, scholars say, is the five stanzas of three verses each. So you saw um, um, there um, the end of 52 and the uh, chapter three. I, I offer uh, one word for each stanza kind of to synopsize what I think is happening, right? So we have this uh, idea, not only is his uh, appearance or visage distorted, but the people's understanding is distorted, right? And then we have um, how he's despised. Uh, he's a man of sorrows. Uh, people turn away from him. And then we get the punishment proper by his wounds, um, his back, his stripes. Um, all that we deserve is laid upon him. And then judgment, judgment of um, uh, paying the price and then death. And then uh, in the last stanza, which we didn't read today, about reward, about uh, exaltation. 
by the sovereign Lord. Um, the first and last stanzas contain the triumph of the servant of the Lord. The middle three speak on the servant's uh, humiliation and suffering. In today's message, uh, I'd like to cover stanzas one through four, which you know began with like the short intro at the end of 52 and then the bulk of 53. Um, I wanted to reserve, however, the final stanza, verses uh, 10 to 12 of 53 for our Easter Sunday message. Um, as I believe it points to um, the resurrection of the servant and the uh, lasting significance of his legacy. Now, the particular sequence of messages is a departure from what I announced um, at the start of the series. Originally, I hoped to include chapter 61 by Isaiah, which some scholars believe is a fifth uh, servant song. Not all of them do, but some do. Um, but the more I read that chapter, I felt it was so rich, so full that um, uh, one message would be kind of uh, too limiting. So hopefully I can get to it sometime uh, in the future. Um, of our two chapters, um, 53 is by far the better known. There are many corroborated details of the suffering servant uh, in the passion of the Christ that makes the chapter both cherished, right, special, but also unpleasant, maybe even difficult to read because of uh, the, the uncanny uh, correspondence. Um, it's so close in specificity and accuracy you know, with the excruciating details of Jesus' suffering that you know, we, we can't call it coincidental. It actually is predictive, it's prophetic. Um, and I trust you reflected uh, much on that right, during the week, uh, during our Lord's Supper uh, time today. Um, what I wanna devote our time to tonight, the rest of our time is to now think about the idea of expectation or appearances, right? Um, what we think something is, contrasted with the reality. What is it actually? Um, what is uh, really taking place? Uh, who is it really, right? As it relates to uh, God's uh, purposes uh, for the servant. Yeah, I hope the title kind of uh, is, bears that out. Uh, servant song, not what we thought, right? It indicates, I meant, I meant it to indicate that the expectations or readings of who the servant of the Lord is and what he has done are far different from what is actually taking place. So again, appearances versus reality. Uh, for example, when we see uh, the servants, um, how he looks like his appearance, um, he looks like an outcast, this uh, makes us feel that uh, God is not blessing him, his life at all. And, and we, when we think of like an agent of God or, or servant of God, I think we expect him to be dignified, maybe stately, certainly powerful or well-connected. But what happens to this man suggests that God has uh, completely abandoned him, right? Forsaken him. Uh, indeed, by all indications, uh, he is cursed. Uh, and so, as God's people, we, we don't want to associate with him, um, right? Verse 14 says, they were, there were many who were appalled at him, right? Yeah. And so we prematurely uh, conclude that there is something seriously wrong with him. And that is why these things are happening. Uh, that is why he is the way he is. In other words, we attribute his deficiencies, his faults, his flaws to what's happening uh, to him. That's the appearance, but the reality is the exact opposite. The truth is the opposite, right? Everything that has happened to him is because of his knowledge. He knows what's happening and he's 
chosen to sacrifice. He is submitting to the sovereign Lord. He deserves none or nothing that befalls him. Uh, terrible things happen to him because he has voluntarily borne them in order to accomplish a different outcome, a better outcome for the ones being redeemed. And then the craziest realization of all is that we realize, hopefully, that it's not he, he's not actually suffering for his own things. He's suffering for me. You know, so like I judged him based on what's happening to him, thinking he's at fault. But the truth is that he is actually suffering because of me. So I should be, uh, he's suffering in my stead, in my place. And so we go from judging him for his failings to realizing that not only is he blameless, but he's doing this for us, the truly culpable ones. And so we, we see that, I think this theme, right? Uh, repeating itself here in this passage. So I'd like to select uh, three images, if you will, from the passage and show this, uh, hopefully show this same pattern at work. What is expected is not what something actually turns out to be. So I called it misreads, right? Misreads, just to get this idea that we're prone to kind of incorrectly interpret a situation. We read something wrong, we read a person uh, in inaccurately, right? We tend to judge things as we perceive them through our own filters, through our own you know, lens of experience or by the use of conventional wisdom. In the process, right, if we stick to those uh, you know, misunderstandings, we can miss out big time on what God is really trying to show us. So let's consider the uh, arm of the Lord language, right? Uh, first, arm of the Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, can I go back? I forgot to kind of cover those. Arm of the Lord, um, the uh, sheep, right? So arm of the Lord uh, is in the first couple of verses, sheep references are in six and seven and then grave slash death in verse nine and actually verse eight as well thank you um we're informed that the servant is indeed the promised arm of the lord okay so it's it's what it sounds like the arm of the lord is his mighty right hand it's an expression of god's power god's authority right? so the ability to restore his people has been referred to that's what it's called the arm of the lord he's mighty to save god is unstoppable he will, his arm will accomplish what he intends it to do so it's it's a metaphor for his uh, incomparable power right in fact the verses in chapter 2 leading up to this uh, the start of this fourth servant song talks about god's insistence that he would be able to bring the people back to him despite their sin you know, God has been comforting them with that promise. My arm of the Lord will not fail. But as we looked at this chapter, right, especially chapter 53, the arm of the Lord looks nothing like what you would expect. It's not a stereotypical conquering hero, right? Deliverers are usually dominating, uh, forceful, sometimes, you know, attractive people. They have personal magnetism, that, that, that leadership, right, that charisma, draws people to themselves, right? Uh, leading them to kind of um, do things, right? Do great things uh, together. But this servant does not fit the picture at all. He possesses no special attractiveness, no beauty or majesty, no appeal to draw people towards him. In fact, we're repelled, right? We're like, ooh, I don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to be near this guy. He, 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 he doesn't look like he's, he's got it, you know, all together. Instead of, uh, you know, bursting on the scene like many of the uh, of the world leaders, um, it says that he appears as a sprout, <laughs> a tender shoot out of dry ground. 
very nondescript, very unassuming, right? Nobody notices it. Um, you know, it's kind of like an exposed root of a tree. It's like ugly. Right? Why, why would you think that would become this huge, like, uh, like um, tree, uh, spreading tree that could offer protection and fruit? His ethos uh, reminds me of what we might in modern terms call a loser. <laughs> yeah, the servant of the Lord, at least in the first few chapters here, looks like a loser. Right? He gets sick. He'll experience our diseases, right? Um, he'll be severely punished. He's whipped and beaten and, 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 uh, and uh, um, pain is inflicted upon him. And this, this implies that he has moral flaws, right? And maybe worst of all, he won't even stand up for himself. Um, he won't fight back. And, you know, that, that seems to be kind of, like I said, a loser ethos. Uh, and he gets so kind of beat up. He gets so um, disfigured that it's quite utterly shocking. He doesn't even look human after a while. So nothing like a typical world conqueror or those that want to be world conquerors. Yeah, but this is uh, actually a pretty common divine motif. God does use mighty people who um, are charismatic, who can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best of, you know, the popular crowd. But this servant and many of God's servants, I think, they are kind of unassuming. They are kind of quiet. They are lowly. Um, he's not going to come through fanfare or typical outlays power right um, his strength is hidden it's behind the scenes uh, you might call him an unsung hero he just has this quiet dogged dis mm, even dismissed and unappreciated obedience right, to the sovereign lord but that makes all the difference right? um i was thinking about uh this appearances versus reality theme and um found kind of an illustration in uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? I think that whole book is probably full of those appearances versus reality themes, right? Um, the misunderstanding through like that, that people have in that town about certainly uh, Tom Robinson, right? The, the, the black man accused of, of, of rape. Um, you know, they judge him based on the color of his skin, but in reality, he's a good father, a, a good Christian, kind, compassionate, um, innocent, right? Uh, and then there's, um, you know, Atticus. People judge Atticus for what they think he's doing, but um, he really is kind of the, the moral backbone, right, of the, of the story. But I, I, I actually looked at uh, Boo Radley. You guys remember Boo Radley, um, so to Jem and Scout, you know, Atticus' kids, uh, Boo is like a, a kind of a, a monster, right? He's six feet tall, has a scar running across his face, face, yellow teeth. It's rumored that he eats cats and squirrels, and he's locked in a room to, to keep him out of sight or, you know, um, protect people locked in a room for years, like the basement. You know, you know Boo Boo never comes out of the house, but in um, reality, uh, Boo or Arthur Radley is uh, proves to be a kind, caring, and gentle man. He's quiet and shy, uh, but he only has good intentions. And so there's a couple of incidents where he sees after a fire that 
uh, scout is cold. And so he puts a blanket around her shoulders to give her warmth. And then I think Jem uh, and Scout are attacked by uh, somebody and uh, Arthur Radley, you know, comes to the rescue, right? He saves them. So it, it, it's not, you know, Boo is not what is rumored. Right? He actually is the opposite and stuff. So, you know, this arm of the Lord, um, you know, we again we think of we tend to think of power and we tend to think of greatness uh, and all that, but here it's revealed, right? Because otherwise, by our own intuition and analysis, we wouldn't get to the right understanding. Uh, but um, it's revealed that this servant, his method, his demeanor—that's the way that God's going to accomplish the hardest thing in the world, right? Conquering sin, conquering uh, death. So, yeah, I think that forces us to kind of humble ourselves. It forces us to examine our typical analytical framework, our interpretive schemes, our judgments, our judgment structures. Um, you know, like I was thinking about Job. Job is suffering greatly, um, and he doesn't know why. His friends come, right, and say, the reason that you're suffering is because you did something bad and you haven't confessed it. That's why God is visiting all these calamities on you. But Job says, I've I prayed, I've repented, I've searched my heart and I'm there's nothing left that I haven't um, confessed. So this must be something else. I don't know what else is happening, but it's, it's not because of my sin. And of course, his friends would, would refuse to, you know, uh, they'd have none of it. Right? And finally, at the end, God has to intervene and tell the friends that indeed Job was in the right and that his friends had misread Job's plight. Okay, so arm of the Lord. The second thing is, uh, uh, let's examine the sheep references in verses six to seven. You know, the sheep, um, by by kind of their character uh, or their, their qualities, um, they're notoriously known to be single-minded. All they can think about is food. They're unaware of the the wider world, their minds are on, you know, the next uh, mouthful of grass and not much else. Uh, when they're frightened, they have a tendency to bolt in any direction, like, and, and, and everyone follows. There's this great story of, in Turkey, a few years back, one sheep jumped off a cliff, and all the other <laughs> sheep of that herd followed it, and they all fell into, into this ravine, and uh, a lot of damage occurred, but, you know, I forget, like, you know, 300 sheep or something like that all, all you know, jumped. And uh, not all of them died, though. Uh, the ones on the ones that jumped in the first, like, first half died. Uh, the, the latter half survived because the bottom pile provided a cushion uh, for them. Right? So that's kind of like what you would expect uh, of sheep. And... You know, although we may fancy ourselves to be more intelligent than sheep, more reliable than sheep, um, the Bible pretty much calls us sheep, right? That, uh, we, it is an apt reference. We all like sheep, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned uh, to his own way. Um, so, so far, it's tracking, right? We understand uh, sheep to do it. And then the next reference to sheep is a, in kind of a sacrificial kind of context right so uh, the servant himself um, is compared to a sheep so we're drawn into the language and the theory of the sacrificial system so here's where a sacrificial animal 
uh, carries away the sin of the offerer. So a person brings a sheep, brings a, a goat, brings a, a bird to um, um, allow the death of this innocent animal uh, to atone or pay for her own sins, right? So the animal dies in the offerer's place, doing what the offerer must do otherwise. And the way that it's described about the servant is that just as a sheep is submissive, um, so the servant himself will not uh, say anything. He'll remain silent. He will not, pro uh, just as a sheep does not protest what is about to take place, getting cut or, or getting killed, uh, um, getting slaughtered, um, a sheep doesn't say anything. So, I mean, this is, you know, uh, we, we track this, like I said, with Jesus's life and say, hey, indeed, he did not um, protest or cry out or defend himself uh, even before Herod, before Pilate, before the chief priests, before anyone, right? Um, he remained, um, kept his composure. He refused to uh, even try to get out of a situation. Uh, but here I think is where the surprise is, right? For a sheep, based on their nature, um, they don't protest because they don't know what's gonna happen or they don't, they're not of the type to, uh, they're, like I said, they're a helpless victim of circumstance beyond uh, their control, right? Um, and I think the assumption here in this story, in this passage, is that you know, the 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 sufferer, the uh, the servant, he's kind of like that. He's just he's getting battered and bruised, and you know, the forces around, the powers that be, uh, they are in control of his you know, body and his life and his faculties, and they are imposing, they are forcing him. In other words, he has no choice, right? He is like a dumb sheep uh, led uh, to the slaughter. But what we find is that, that the opposite is true. Um, the servant is actually fully capable of extricating himself. He can, you know, as Jesus says, call legions of angels to defend himself. He could speak a word in his own defense to yeah, to exonerate himself. As many options, as many paths out of this. And yet uh, the, the surprising thing, the expectations that are um, upended, the reality versus appearances versus reality uh, uh, dynamic uh, is that he has chosen to go through this. It's not... There's no contractual relationship. There's no obligation. There's no, uh, there's no um, responsibility. It's uh, an act of, it's, it's a volitional act, right? He laid down his life. He knew what he was doing and he laid it down because this was the only way to bring about um, yeah, the sinner's forgiveness to sinners, uh, redemption. So viewed in this light, you know, some of the language that we see here, it just kind of, right, it's just shocking, 
right? That whenever it says that you know he was bludgeoned or he was pierced, um, he was crushed. Um, that it it was something he voluntarily and knowingly and wittingly accepted about it, um, accepted that forces us, I think, to realize how serious uh, sin is, uh, that it required the uh, actual and uh, very painstaking uh, procedure here, right? the process of uh, leading Jesus, the Lamb of God, to slaughter. Um, and, and so it forces us, right? It, 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 like I said, the theme of shock or the theme of like, whoa, um, really kind of um, challenges us. Uh, it, it, it kind of like slaps us, right, uh, in, in the face, um, if you will. So verse uh, 14, let me see if I can find it. Um, verse 14 of 52 says, of 15, the end, for what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand, right? These are people who've judged this servant for his, you know, apparent weakness, uh, for his apparent uh, sins, for his problems, but they will realize that, no, it's not for his own, but for theirs, for ours that he indeed um, has suffered so greatly. Okay, uh, let's look now at last at the grave imagery in verses uh, eight and nine, right? Uh, there's two phrases there. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Yeah, so both of these clearly kind of um, indicate that Jesus, or the servant, uh, actually died, right? Um, and, and, and if you read like... Um, the, the account of, of how he died and, um, you know, uh, not knowing like the, the, how the prophecy manifests in Jesus, you see that he was assigned a grave with the wicked. The automatic assumption again is that he did something wrong. He was a criminal. He, des he deserved this. And so, you know, he got what he deserved, um, this kind of idea. So his death, at least uh, on the surface, superficially looks like, um, it was a failure, right? That his death, he was a, uh, not a, like, okay, a bad guy or, or somebody that, um, you know, lived a shameful life and died a shameful uh, death, right? And, 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 and so um, you know, death, death feels like, um, like, a, that's it, right? Like a dead end, <laughs> uh, Think about that. Death is actually a literal dead end of all that is good in life, right? Relationships, enjoyment, uh, all types of meaning. It comes to a screeching halt when our hearts stop beating and our brains uh, stop uh, waving, right? And, you know, so you start thinking that, okay, um, this story describes somebody that, you know, deserved to die and, uh, you know, it happened and, and, so that's the way of the world. I mean, that's one conclusion that, you know, a person could draw, right? You could 
kind of talk about the whatever the inability to rise out of your 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 circumstances or you know the you may make an argument for moral uh, law that you know cause and effect reap what you sow um, you know you could shake your head and go well that's life and that you know uh, it, it it all ends uh, this way but uh, you get a, a hint that his death uh, is much more uh, meaningful than that right there's that one passage uh, one one phrase where it says that he was rich in his death right and and, and numerous people commentators say that's a reference to his being put into the a tombstone uh, that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, right? a rich man who uh, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and interred um, it uh, in, in that uh, rock uh, as kind of an honor, uh, honored death, right? And, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, Jesus's death is, is um, kind of not typical, right? It's not ordinary. Usually criminals were... Uh, kind of assigned to um, kind of a public grave and, and, you know, nobody mourned them and stuff. But I mean, although Jesus was crucified as a criminal uh, with one criminal each on e either side of him, um, you know, uh, uh, who died, uh, who also was punished, uh, his death became, uh, was much more meaningful than that. His death was much more impactful uh, than that. Death wasn't only the end of his life, but by dying to for our sins, he put to death, right, the power of sin. That sin no longer uh, needed to separate us eternally from God. Uh, sin, uh, the penalty of sin, uh, could be um, was paid, and that uh, you and I, when we receive um, what Jesus has done in faith when we ask for forgiveness, when his death becomes vicarious and substitutionary for us, then uh, sin will not separate us uh, eternally uh, from God, right? We can have a relationship with God, right? And I know that uh, sometimes death is very, um, it, it is very heavy. And today you know even though we know jesus rises from the dead um it is a day of sorrows uh and stuff um but at the same time i feel like we can't avoid um acknowledging that um yeah it, death was not the kind of the slamming shut of jesus's life right it actually was his kind of his aim right? uh, the journey towards his death was something that he knew all along and that he purposed uh, from the very beginning uh, to get to, right? He, he talks about, I have a baptism to undergo and how eager I am to undergo it. He knew that death was in his future, uh, painful death, but because of what his death would accomplish, right? The salvation of souls, um, that, made it fraught with much more, right? Yeah, I don't know if you've kind of seen death or processed death. Um, maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's somebody from um, uh, a public figure or, or somebody or somebody that you know. 
But um, I think that's such a, a an amazing thing, right? When uh, death is not um, just kind of a sad and even like kind of a, a, an empty result, right? that it's just a natural, we all die kind of uh, approach that when there is uh, some meaning towards it, when there, you know, uh, when there is something that can result. Um, so I, I thought of from my own kind of experience, um, like of the people that I know that, that died, uh, was there any death that kind of, uh, certainly Jesus's death is extraordinary, right? Because of what it accomplished. But what about um, other people's, right? And, and, and there was one person that I knew in my life um, that uh, I thought his death was kind of you know, impactful uh, beyond you know, what is typical. He was a young guy. He was in his, I think, mid to late 20s uh, when he passed. I had... Um, you know, he was among some of the students that I uh, had ministered to over the years. And um, uh, he and some friends were uh, at a, a lake, right? And they were hiking and um, they went swimming and the water was um, uh, too cold. And so I think he started getting hypothermia. And um, so he started to kind of struggle. He started to drown. And uh, there was another guy who saw him and jumped in or went to him and, and tried to kind of help him, right? But it, it was getting too hard and the water, I think the, the, the would-be rescuer himself was also drowning. And then he said to him, uh, his name was William, William, I, I'm drowning too, right? And um, there's a, it was a conscious memory that, you know, William at that point let go of this guy. This guy's name was Hubert, let go of Hubert so as to not um, take Hubert down. Like either they both would die or, you know, William knew that his time had come. Right? Now, you know, there's many ways to kind of look at this, uh, but you know, these guys were brothers in Christ. And, um, you know, you could ask like, why were they swimming after hiking in a cold lake? You know, I've asked questions like that, but uh, in, in the act, in a small way, I felt like well, his death was not just kind of like, an accident. His death was not a tragedy. It was a tragic accident. But there you see, um, at least I felt at the time, right, there was something more. There was love there. There was sacrifice there. There was uh, an, there was no fear of death, at least on William's part. And so those of us that knew him, those of us that attended his funeral, those of us that kind of walked with him, um, you know, always kind of, I think, see that as you know one of his legacies that um he was a guy who didn't fight for life to the point of hurting another person right and that he kind of accepted um the the reality of what, what he had to face and so he was not um yeah he he, he ended let's say gracefully uh, that's what i was thinking um you know jesus had so much more uh terror and horror and pain and, and all that, you know, to bear the sins of humanity for all eternity is nothing compared to, I mean, is, is our, you know, individual experiences or stories, you know, uh, nothing compared to that. And yet, um, you know, I think Jesus transformed death. Right? Uh, death 
uh, no longer you uh, the appearance that it is this incredible power that it's the worst enemy of all right jesus took that enemy and uh, put it to his own use right so that he could make us um, his eternal eternal uh, sons and daughters right eternal sons and daughters of god all right um, I'm going to have us do some reflection time, I'm thinking about the message, thinking about Good Friday. Um, our projection team is going to run the Lord's Supper slides again, a little bit shorter. So you're welcome to view them or you know, reflect with your eyes closed. And then um, Matt will uh, finish us up uh, our service.